Hi, and welcome to Health, Wealth and the Pursuit of Happiness, a podcast that will empower you to live a more inspired life and find real freedom. Each episode, Mark Dale Mazer and Aries Jimenez discuss best life practices, covering topics ranging from health and well-being, to true wealth and our relationship to money, to understanding what real freedom and happiness really is. They provide tools and a system for helping you live a balanced, authentic life in complete harmony with your mind, body and soul. Welcome to all our listeners in podcast land. I'm Mark Dale Mazur, and across from me is my co-host, Aries Jimenez. Hi, everyone. And together, we are pleased to introduce Corey Schmelzer as our guest and subject expert on the topic of wealth and abundance. So a little bit about Corey. He is the founder and owner of San Diego Wealth here in San Diego, which also happens to be the home of the podcast called Health, Wealth, and the Pursuit of Happiness. Corey is both a certified financial planner and a chartered life underwriter. He has his BA in English Literature from University of San Diego. He also has a master's in financial and tax planning from San Diego State. In addition to that, he has a certification in Wharton School of Business Retirement Planning Strategy Program. I believe Corey's been in the investment management and financial planning industry since uh, 1997. And throughout his journey, Corey's life has really reflected this expanded definition of wealth and abundance. Aries, anything you can share as well on Corey's wealth and abundance resume? Well, Mark, I've had the opportunity to work with Corey the last nine plus years. I consider Corey not just a colleague and partner, but a friend and mentor. You know, he's an entrepreneur who has built multiple streams of income outside of his primary business by leveraging his money skills. You know, he saves and invests regularly to take advantage of opportunities to grow his wealth. I've got a chance to see his business evolve from a two-person practice, primarily focused on investment management, to currently a six-person team, which both you and I are on, centered on delivering financial life planning, uh, helping not only clients, but everyone on the team live a life with more freedom and happiness. He's an example of someone who lives his life focusing on what he values most. He's a single dad who has structured his business to allow him to focus on his most important relationships, such as his son, Cole, who he takes on annual father-son trips, skiing and snowboarding in the winter, and a YMCA camp in the summer. He's a business owner that supports his team members in pursuing their passions and leveraging their unique abilities this podcast being a prime example of that. And so I am very thankful and appreciative of Corey's support throughout the years and really looking forward to this interview. Indeed, an entrepreneurial freedom finder. We bring you Corey Schmelzer. Corey, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Mark and Aries. Good to see you guys. Ah, oh, great day. And it's great to have you. Thank you. Let's begin a little bit learning about where you're from, a little bit about your background, and maybe take us a little bit through your younger life before we get into more recent period of your life. Fantastic. 
I'm an East Coaster, born and raised outside of Washington, D.C., born in Alexander Hospital. Grew up there 17 years, stayed in the same home that I uh, came home from the hospital in. It was the same home that I graduated high school in. For the D.C. area, that's pretty unique because it's such a transient area with military politicians and contractors, defense contractors, people from around the world coming in for the political world. So that was a stable part of my youth. On the other hand, my folks got divorced when I was four-ish. That was a somewhat a tumultuous time, but came through that well and saw my dad regularly, my mom regularly, and had my sister there as my rock. Nothing that really affected my life. I'm sure it did, you know. Uh, we were talking before the show started. I remember having a, a little stutter at one point in time, but worked through those things and came out on the other side. One thing for my family that we had was I was always expected to go to college and education was really big. My grandfather on my dad's side had his college degree. Both my grandparents on my mother's side not only had their college degree, but also had their master's degree. My dad's got had his master's in JD. My mom had her master's in PhD. My sister skipped the master's and went straight to PhD. And I'm, I'm the knucklehead in the family with only a master's degree. But education and the importance of education has always been big in my family and kind of a, a given that you're going to do certain things and pursue those. Yeah, makes sense. So tell us a little bit about you took that education and kind of brought it into this industry. Tell us a little bit about how that started and kind of how that led you to kind of what your mission and purpose is in this business. What's interesting is... <laughs> I didn't declare my major until my second semester in my junior year after I'd gone to Spain and studied abroad in Mexico for a summer studying. And when I got back, it was it was time to declare a major. And I actually declared a major in English literature. Now, the reality was my background in education gave me a lot. But what really brought me to where I was was as a kid, I was always an entrepreneur. And the story I, I always remember is I just remember going to my backyard and there was rocks and I got my Corella crowns and I colored them. And I don't know how old I was, but I went door to door selling colored rocks. And thankfully, no one crushed my ego or my entrepreneurism and the neighbors bought my colored rocks for you know 25 cents or whatever it was. Although as an English literature major, I was interning my senior year, second semester, senior year, my first internship, and I walked into a uh, firm called Smith Barney, and I walked in the first day, and I interned for Steve Balaban and Scott Sugarman down on 401 C Street at Smith Barney in downtown San Diego, and I walked in the first day and said, this is what I want to do. They were dealing with dynamic things, helping people, families, real people, and I also love that they, I never saw a boss the whole time I was there. If I saw a boss, I never saw someone who looked like a boss. They were professionals and dealing with money, and I'd always been fascinated by money. So the education component, I don't know how much drove into that, although my master's was in finance, with especially in finance and tax planning. So what exactly did you experience or see when you walked in there and said, this is where I want to be? What was going on there? My kind of money story is as a young kid, my grandma gave each grandchild $2,000. And my mom talked to one of her 
Actually, I believe it was, my mom just told me, a colleague that she worked with at Fairfax County Public Schools. And she said, what should I do with this money? And because my mom didn't know. So she asked, I believe it was Susan. And Susan said, hey, you know, this Fidelity Magellan account's pretty good. You should maybe put it in there. And I sat there and watched this money grow from $2,000 to like $15,000 by the time I graduated high school in a very short period of time in the grand scheme of things. From 1980 to 1992, in 12 years, it grew tremendously. And mind you, at the time, that was arguably the best managed portfolio money manager like in the world as far as stats that i know i haven't 100 percent confirmed that but definitely top top notch so we picked a good one and i was always fascinated about how that worked on the other side of that my mom and dad had different ways of spending money my mom was always a person that she would spend on the big experiences so when i was a kid in 1987 went to germany saw the berlin wall went to Finland, saw family friends there, drove on the Autobahn, which was awesome in Germany for whatever I was. 13-year-old boy, like this was awesome. We went actually into the Soviet Union and got to go up and, and see a little bit of that, which was an amazing experience. With that said, my mom on the other hand, like we went to matinee movies. You didn't ask for candy. She like had a big purse and she shoved all that candy and stuff in there. So you just, you didn't ask for certain things because you knew it wasn't going to happen. She was frugal and wise with her money, but for experiences and things that are important to her that she wanted to bring us with travel as one of those, she was happy to spend. Still on a budget though, just to be clear. My dad, on the other hand, he was an attorney and I remember shopping with him for a TV and he knew exactly the TV he wanted. He wanted a 40-inch Mitsubishi TV. And this is, I don't know when it was, but they, this was not a flat LCD plasma TV. But the thing was awesome TV at the time. And he walked into the first store and I'm going out shopping with him. And he's like, I walked to the salesperson and said, this is what I want. And the guy goes, this is it right here. He looked at the price. He goes, I'll take it. I'm like, wait, dad, dad, you know, we should, we really should like, let's, let's go look at a couple of stores and see if we'll get some deep, you know, some coupons or discounts you know and my dad said and he wasn't being arrogant about it he's like Corey, i i bill out like 400 dollars an hour or whatever it was at the time he's like i don't get enough time with you and i don't want to spend my time with you shopping i want to spend my time with you being with you so my mom taught me a lot about the importance of money and being smart with your money and wise and on the other hand spending money on experiences and the importance of enjoying your money right? Uh, my dad, on the other hand, taught me about the value of time and that money can only buy so much time. And the time that you have, you should use wisely. So when I walked into Smith Barney that day to go all the way back to that, I was already fascinated by the stock market, investing and saving. So that's where I really came from. But I really liked the independence that these gentlemen had. And I really enjoyed how they're helping people. And it seemed very dynamic. That's what set me up. Since then, my experience with being a planner has really changed dramatically in what we, we bring to people, but we can go into that more in a bit. So Corey, based off of you being in the industry that we're in, how would you define wealth and, and how have those two examples that you've shared with us regarding both of your parents, how have they impacted the way you view wealth? As a kid, and even now, I don't think we're all 
aware of the amount of wealth we have. Wealth is such a broad term, but typically narrowly defined. If I could go back then, what was my wealth? Like I could play on competitive soccer. I got to go to summer camp. I always had food at my house. You know, if I really needed a new pair of shoes, we'd get a pair of shoes. So we were very middle class. And I didn't realize that at the time, not the middle class thing, but how much abundance we had and how much opportunity I had, where a lot of people don't. But I think it's also a mindset. With that said, there's definitely the money component to wealth, but I don't know, is that one-fifth? Is that one-tenth of what wealth is? There's components of happiness that go into that and the ability to exercise or play sports and just be healthy and wake up in the morning and feel good and not be in pain. I mean, that's a major, major piece. So I look at the components of wealth. Other components would be independence, the ability to be independent. Going back to my entrepreneurship, I was a student painter one summer and I worked for someone for a month and I was making like whatever minimum basically wage was. And it was a fine job. I was painting my buddies, but I said, this is for the birds. And because I, by the time I, I learned this, the tools and I figured if I lined up two or three more jobs for the summer, I could make f- probably five times as much and do it on my own time and my own schedule. So the opportunity, the know-how and the courage led me to the opportunity to have that freedom and the independence, the independence of my summer, not having to be there at 7 a.m. or whenever I had to be there. So along with health and independence and freedom, I think mindset is wealth. Back to that place of abundance, a lot of people I see seem to live in a place of scarcity and fear, and fearful about a lot of things, a lot of things. Sometimes it's fear of what's to come, There's regrets for what's in the past or what could happen to them. And I come from a place where I see the opportunity in the world. And that opportunity provides me a vision for the future and belief in myself and where the future can lead for me. And and not only for me, but our business, for our clients and the world, which might sound cliche, but I really think the sky's the limit. Talk to me a little bit about how you're bringing that mindset to the business. Because I know when I first started working with you, this is almost 10 years ago now, coming up, I've gotten a chance firsthand to kind of see you grow and evolve these past 10 years. And obviously, we started out as a team of two. Now we're a team of six, but there's a lot of growth that happened within these last 10 years. So talk to me a little bit about kind of what your mindset is as it relates to the business and what do you see as our main mission and purpose? From going back, I started in a different world at a, what the industry would call a wirehouse. And it was, it was a great training ground. And I, I developed great clients and learned a lot and I went and got my CFP and my master's degree. But through that educational component, there was the actual professional components, which was, you know, what's a certain tax deduction or what type of budgeting components there would be, which were very valuable. But then you get to a place where you're a certain part where you have to create capacity and you need to bring on people. And then you really have to think about what type of people do I want to bring on? What type of business do I really want to be? Before that, I was trying to focus on my clients and bring them the best advice. But then I got to a place where I couldn't grow anymore and I want to offer more. I want to offer more for my clients, go deeper with my clients. And to do that, I had to build a team. 
I've tried to build a team that has a great culture or support each other. And we really work. It's not my client, your client, but we all support each other. When I started, I was fired up about investments. I just loved investments and how could I get a tax break and this and that. And that's, I think there's a lot to be said about that. But the people I found to be the most successful are the people that actually have a plan. And I'm talking from a financial component. That's where I started. But people, whether it was on the back of a napkin or a legal pad, or they actually sat down with a professional to develop a plan, those are the people that I saw five years, 10 years, 20 years later that were miles ahead. And most of our clients here, if you looked at the amount of money that they made in their working career, the amount of money that they were able to save and put away was amazing for the amount of money that they actually earned. And they're happy people, they live below their means, and they have a very safe and secure retirement. I really like that. And I like bringing that to people. So it really evolved as an industry really of planning. The investments are, are still there, but I don't find the value there as much. It's still important, but originally I thought that was everything. And now I'm seeing another piece. Now, with that said, with the life planning component, it's really bringing a broader stroke. When we're, Today we're talking about wealth and what is wealth. And if money's one-tenth of what wealth is, then the money component's there. But we're trying to, as a firm, bring something bigger, have people understand what their opportunity is and help them define what they want, not only define what they want, but put measurable goals in place and help them actually implement that. And then we look at those important things in their life, which has nothing to do with money. And then we turn around and look at their resources of time and money and figure out how they're going to implement that to reach what their life's purpose is. As a firm, I'm excited to come to work every day because that's how we're touching people's lives. It's not like, hey, well, you saved this much more or this asset grew or whatever it may be, which is all good. But it's really like how we're changing their lives. And unfortunately, with a financial planner, sometimes that could be measured in decades. Okay, well, we start when you're 30. Can you retire when you're 62? Well, we'll find out in 32 years, you know, or rewrite. With life planning, we really can make big changes immediately in people's lives. And I don't know if the whole industry is going there. You two have heard my analogy, but uh, I'll do it one more time, which is I don't think people are necessarily expecting life planning or think that when they walk through our doors, that's what they're going to get necessarily. Although I think we're becoming well known for it. I always think about when my dad was younger, he drank, I don't know, it was Maxwell Hall's or, or Folgers, right? But that's what he, that was his coffee, right? And then I remember being a younger person, like this Ethiopian, a Columbia, you know, Colombian coffee, that's the greatest in the world. And like, all of a sudden, like it wasn't Maxwell House or Sanka, it wasn't the lowest priced coffee for the coffee buzz. It, it actually needed to taste good. So people weren't necessarily looking for that coffee, but when they had it, they couldn't go back to the others. And I think when people are exposed to what we're offering here and what we're delivering, I think they'll be like, I wasn't looking for that, but once I've had it, why would I want anything else? That's my vision for the firm. And really for the industry, I think the industry as a whole needs to go deeper with clients. And for that, I mean, we right now have roughly 200 clients and we have a team of six, but we're trying to go a lot deeper. It's not a volume business. It's a really personal touch and care, but it's not just about your investments. It's not just about your financial plan, but it's really about what your life plan is. And that 
you start with the life plan, you go to the financial plan, and then you implement how you're going to deploy your capital. Speaking of the life plan, one of the things that I, I really appreciate about you is the fact that, one, if we're going to be doing life planning for clients, we need to practice what we preach. And we've kind of incorporated that into the culture of of the company. And you being one of the people that has has gotten through the life planning process, one of the big values that I've found in the process is really getting clear as to what's most important to you and what you value most. What was that for you when you went through that process? And did anything jump out at you? Was there anything that was new that you never really thought about that was important to you? Or did it just affirm what you already knew? There's certain times in your life. Sometimes you're on the cutting edge and sometimes you're not on the cutting edge. When you look inside yourself, sometimes you're so on the cutting edge, like you're, you're even ahead of yourself. And you're really sharp, you're focused, you're, you're flowing. And other times, you're not at 100% in your life. There's things that are going wrong and there's challenges. And I can't remember where I was at the time I did my life plan. For me, it was reaffirming, but it's very focusing on what was important. That's what I took from it. It took that and defined it and continued to sharpen and sharpen it. And I think the life planning process, it's not a one-time event. I think in the industry, we talk about every 2.3 years, like people go through a major change in their life. That could be job change. That could be buying a house, selling a house, kid graduates, divorce, marriage, parent passing away. I mean, there's so many things. And those are major life events, but there's so many events that your life plan always needs to be updated because we're evolving. Hopefully, we're always evolving. And in a culture of, of learning and continuing to grow yourself and what your passions are and the opportunities that you have and finding ways that you never thought you could affect the world. And then all of a sudden, you're like, wow, I want to be a part of that. It was reaffirming on what my core was, but how you are able to implement that core in your life and put your time and money towards it in the, in the future, as far as the two resources go, continues on. You mind sharing with us what some of those core pieces are for you? I'm obsessed with the idea of liberation and freedom and justice. I mean, I watch a movie, politics, whatever it may be, I read a story. Like, I really want to bring that freedom to the world. And I can't stand hypocrisy. I'd like people to be liberated. And I'm just one person. But the way I raised my son is I want him to be liberated and I want him to be free, free of thought, free for opportunity. And I want the same thing, the opportunities my son has for everyone. So I am obsessed with that regularly. One of the things that we talk about in the podcast is growth and how important that is for us as individuals. And one of the ways we grow is whether it's we make mistakes or or certain times in our life when things aren't going the way we thought they would. So there's certain life lessons that we we learn throughout life. I mean, what are some of the key life lessons that you'd like to share with the audience that really kind of jump out and really make you who you are today? I think one of the defining moments I had as a kid was I remember in third grade, I got diagnosed with learning disabilities. And my mom was, uh, I think at the time she was a principal at a junior high school, Stephen Foster, I believe. She recognized some things and I got the help that I needed. 
And what that included was at the time, the way it was described to me was I had, there's, you know, if there's 10 things that people could do usually pretty well, there was two of them that I was pretty horrible at, but you know, the other eight I was doing really good at. So I was smart, but there was something that was not quite firing right. And in that piece, I went to the special class on Wednesdays. I remember it was always Wednesdays and I'd be pulled out of class for like an hour and I hated it. Like I felt everyone was looking at me. They knew where I was going and, and probably no one, I wasn't that important to anyone, <laughs> you know, but I really hated that. I didn't want to have that weakness or that change. And then with the help of the school system and with my mom particularly, we figured out ways that I could study and train. And I would just third grade spelling, fifth grade spelling. I remember being there doing those 20 spelling words. And every night I'd write down all 20 words 10 times. And I'd still get like a B, you know? There's other people who walk in and be like, oh, we have a spelling test today. And they look at the piece of paper real fast and they get an A. You know, they just, their minds click like that. But what that did for me was it brought me an understanding of hard work and diligence and pursuit to what I wanted to achieve. And that with that hard work, I could accomplish what I needed to do. I might have to work harder than other people in certain places. I might have to work longer than certain people, but I could absolutely do the work. I just were gonna have to do a little bit more to be at the same level, or maybe not same level as the guy that got the A that didn't even study. But that was a defining moment. And since then, it's always brought me, I've always had a really strong work ethic. Actually, for the first time in my life, just the last few years, I've started to slow down a little bit. Not slow down, but I was going, 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 going. And you two probably see me enough. You still think I'm going, going, going. But I've been able to slow down a little bit and just relax a little bit more, which has been nice. So that's probably one of my key components of, of my young life. But with that said, I was able to bring those pieces together, so that hard work, as well as I've always had this unbelievable self-confidence, hopefully not arrogance, hopefully not too big of an ego, but just in a place where I believed in who I was. Everyone's had their like blue days, you know, or even things that are really sad in their life and you have to work through them. But I've always had this huge amount of self-confidence in what I can do. And I don't know if that's just somehow I'm wired that way. I don't know if that's something my parents brought to me. Maybe it was the hard work I did that led me to believe myself. I'm sure it's a combination of it all. But again, to that matter, and just being an entrepreneur, which is another key component. I mean, as a kid, I mowed so many lawns. I mean, I can't tell you how many lawns I went. Not, not just from my mom or my dad. I mean, I'm talking like lawn for neighbors and neighbors. And this is in the DC area in August and it's like 95 degrees and like 90% humidity. It was sweltering. But first of all, I didn't know any different because that's just how summers were in DC. Two, I was happy to do the work. I was always an entrepreneur and I was always trying to earn money to, to save. So I think the other component of being an entrepreneur that ties into that is really the courage. So it's a work ethic with the confidence that you can do it and then the courage to take the risk. And I think those have been those defining moments for me is really that courage to take take the risks. And, and one of my friends talked to me about the fact that 
looking at what I've done, like Corey, you have a really good long game. In this industry and in lots of industry, I'm sure, I see so many people that come and they'll say, I, this is how I make my next million dollars, or really it's usually their first million dollars. And a year later, they got another plan and they didn't make their first million dollars. And the next year, they got a, another plan to make their next million dollars. And I love the fact that they're, they're courageous. I love the fact that they're entrepreneurial. And I love the fact that they aren't giving up. I've just been slow and steady. And again, back to a lot of our clients that we work with on a daily basis, they're slow and steady people. They're blocking and tackling, blocking and tackling, blocking and tackling, saving where they can, putting it away and being smart with, with their money. So I've had a really good long game, but there's, you have to have courage in that too. You know, and you have to be satisfied with less now for the long game. My dad talked to me about deferred gratification when I was starting in the industry. Corey, it's all about deferred gratification. I'm like, dad, you're crazy. What is deferred gratification? That sounds awful. But the reality is it's, it's kind of life I've, I've lived, lived below my means and done that. And with that said, when we're talking about wealth, I still live below my means. I drive a Honda Civic, which there's nothing wrong with Honda Civic, but you know, I have a $12,000 Honda Civic and the car I bought before that was a $10,000 Honda Civic, both of them used. But I spent the money like my mom and you know, next week I'm going with my son camping for a week in Pennsylvania and I'm able to do a lot of weekend trips with my son, went to Australia this year with my best friend from seventh grade. So I'm doing that, but I'm living below my means to do that, which gives me the opportunity to have this wealthy life that's really about relationships with people and time with my son. On that note, too, the, the time to think. You know, there's so much time to, to the ability just to stop, slow down, absorb, clear your mind, and open it back up to new opportunities and new thoughts. You bring up and you mention your son. His name's Cole. And I know Cole is a, is a big part of your life and is an important part of your life. I know for me, being a, a dad of three, there's definitely life lessons being learned as a parent, as a father. Talk to me a little bit about Cole, your relationship with them. What are some things that you've learned as a father? And what are some things that, what are some challenges as well that you know, you're looking to continue to grow from? It's an amazing thing being a dad. It's a challenging thing to be a dad or a parent in general. I see so much in him i mean his tenacity he's like sarcastic you know like i was talking to his teacher this year and she's like love all the kids in class i love them all different ways but the thing i love about your son is he's sarcastic and we have a little banter you know and she's talking about a fifth grader that she's bantering in class about and so he has that fire and zest in him that is great the way the kids see the world is just this world of opportunity. And I'm sure that's not true for all kids. I think that's how they start out. And I want to make sure that I give my son guidance and, and direction. But also, I don't want to squash that vibrance and that ambition and anything's possible mentality. And I think my, my parents did a good job of keeping me in the right direction, but gave me enough room to sometimes go off the path. As far as the biggest lessons, I'm divorced as well. And my son, he doesn't want me and his mom to be back together, but he sure wishes we lived in the same house so he could see the two people he loves the most every day. 
And when you think about that, like this little guy just wants to see the people he loves the most. He just wants to spend time with the people that he loves the most. And that's quite a gift. And it's quite an amazing perspective to see how important relationships are. I was reading something the other day, which kind of touches on this. And there was this equation, being a math guy, which I am, like that spelling killed me in school, okay? But math was like nothing but net, okay? So, well, until high school, and then there's a lot of other smart math people too. But it was this equation. So think about this. If you write down the word happiness, and then equals, and parentheses, friendship plus trust. So happiness equals, parentheses, friendship plus trust. And friendship is relationships and trusted relationships. And another parentheses, times, parentheses, money plus courage plus independence, parentheses. So happiness is equal to friendship plus trust times money plus courage and independence. And to me, if you think about the components of that, I know we're talking about wealth, but depending on how you define wealth, wealth can be happiness. Wealth is independence. Wealth is accomplishment. Wealth is is friendships and relationships. And that's what my son wanted. He just wants to have time with the people that he loves the most. So when I think about the wealth that I've been that I have in my life is having my son and be able to experience this with him and to give him the opportunity. Hopefully, if I could give him one thing, if I give my son one thing, I give him self confidence. Just that that when he wakes up in the morning, he feels like he can do almost anything. When he's down, he has the courage to get back up, and he has the freedom to make the moves that he wants to make in his life. Not only at eleven years old, what he is today, but when he's 20, 30, or 40 years old. Wow, that's some good stuff. Well, thank you. You know, when it comes to wealth, it really is having an abundance of all the things you really cherish, all the things you really love. And there's so much about that that you've shared. So I'm wondering, from a support standpoint, when you consider sort of your list of things that you really do cherish, the things that have been very important to you that make up sort of your construct of wealth in your life, are there any specific practices or routines that you do on a regular basis that actually support sort of keeping that wealth, if you will, and keeping and maintaining the abundance? The first thing I think about is my son. I mean, like the greatest part of my day usually, and he doesn't do this as much anymore, but when he's a little bit younger, he'd walk into my bedroom and go, dad, is it time to get up? And his voice wasn't quite that low. (laughs) But he, he would walk in, and that was it. Like, that was my morning alarm. That's just such a great way to wake up. Now, sometimes I wasn't ready to wake up. But, like, really, you look back on that, like, to hear your son go, Dad, is it time to get up? He kind of whispered it. That's a huge part of my routine as my son. It keeps me centered. It keeps me focused. As well, I love the outdoors. And if I thought about a routine that I have, I get outdoors a lot. And I've said for a really long time, like it seems so wild that we're surrounded by concrete and glass and metal so much of our lives. So my son and I, I mean, probably I sleep outside camping like in a tent 30 nights a year, if not more. As much as people might not love the idea of camping, 
the simplicity that you get from camping away from the technology away from that you say this you sit there and you play cards you build a fire you cook a meal you really spend time together and that's very centering and grounding to me eventually you do come home and gosh that bed feels so good so you're also grateful and appreciative for coming home to what you have no matter what it is so i think that's a huge routine for me Another thing is I'm always reading. In college, as I said, I was an English literature major. I read fiction. I read nonfiction. I read epics. I read classics. I'm currently reading Shogun. I'm reading a book right now on our industry and practice management. I'm also reading The Mueller Report. Just across the board, I'm constantly reading. And that brings new thoughts into my life, new perspectives. Even if it's a fiction book, a lot of the stuff I read is not necessarily historical fiction, but it's from a time period. And my undergraduate degree, I had a class that was called English Literature to, I'm going to say 1812, and I don't know if that's right. But I was always taught, and I believe my professor was Dr. Clausen or Professor Clausen, and he taught this course. And I was always taught as a kid, like, we're America's young, we don't really have any culture. And then through literature, what the first book we read was about Captain John Smith and this idea of the self-made man, that John Smith was a self-made man. And I was like, wow, you know, like that is, it's so true to us about the self-made man, the opportunity in America. I don't even consider it as a, a culture, but it is part of the American culture. He literally went through, I don't know how many pieces we read, but let's just say it's 15, 20 pieces throughout the semester and just taught me about American history. And it was all based upon fiction. These are all fiction stories. This wasn't the Civil War or the whatever. It was just what was happening in America and how that became a fabric of our culture. So even if I'm reading fiction or nonfiction, I have the ability to draw from that and draw from the human experience and, and apply that in my life. And that's a huge routine for me. I mean, I am constantly reading. Yeah. How about routines around money? as part of your wealth construct. What do you do there? I was listening to the last podcast in preparation for this, so I, I look at my net worth statement a lot. Mm, nice. <laughs> How about your self-worth statement? <laughs> All right, so you look at the net worth statement. No, I'm kidding. I, I don't. Uh, but, no, you don't? Really? <laughs> I mean, I do to some degree, but I wouldn't say a lot. I mean, for me, I, I'm constantly, if we talk about in a money construct, I'm looking at, one is because I have to professionally. And I know that Aries got in this industry because he one of the things he wanted to be able to do is really understand money and how it worked better. It's so much more than that, this industry. But I really wanted to get into a place where I could understand money. Now, with that, I apply that. I'm constantly writing down little notes myself. Hey, I read this. You know, I need to talk to tax preparer about this one. And I basically diligently save. I try to max out my 401k, put money in my it's a health savings account. I put money in my son's 529 account. I try to prepay down mortgages. Right now, this moment, the 10-year bond dropped below 2%. So that 2% rate on the 10-year bond, which is what most mortgages are based upon, is a 10-year bond. Like It's a pretty good time to be considering refinancing. It could go lower, but it really hasn't been this low since, I don't know, 2016. So I think there's those opportunities right now that I'm, I am paying attention to that stuff. But most of the time, it's just really about 
paying down debt and putting money aside in a tax smart way. Lovely. Anything else on the routine subject? There's one thing I want to touch on. Having gotten to know you a, a lot better over the, the course of our, our working relationship, Corey, one of the things that jumps out at me is the fact that you have ran not just one, but multiple ultra marathons, which is 100 miles. So if you could just share with the audience, why would someone put themselves through a race where they're running 100 miles over the course of how many hours is that? Some people's faster. Right. Most people's faster than me. But what's what's the average in terms of time spent running this race? I don't know. I, last time I checked the world records, like 100 miles and 11 hours and change, which is like a seven-minute pace for 100 miles. But that's not the point. I think to your question is this. One, just to clarify, an ultra marathon is anything longer than a marathon. So it doesn't have to be a 100-mile race. It could be a 50K, which is 32.1 miles and so on. So people ask me why I got into it. Reality is I was going through a divorce and I wanted to put my energy towards something that was positive, something I thought was healthy. Now, mind you, running 100 miles may not be that healthy. It sure does take a toll on you. But why I got into it was I had a lot of energy. I want to put that towards good things. And some people can meditate. If I'm not ADHD, I'm on the cusp. So it's hard for me to sit down. I love being outdoors. And ultra marathons, like you are out running through the wilderness. In San Diego, we've got Oh, gosh, so many ultra great ultra marathon races here and great race directors. And you get a chance to see the whole county. And you're out on the trails or you run on the PCT or you're up at Lake Cuyamaca or you're out down in Blair Valley or you're, you know, in Blair Valley and Oriflame Valley and through Mount Laguna and through the Cuyamacas. And you're, you know, you're in four or five different parks real quick. So the ability to see nature and the ability to have time by yourself and time to think, and also sometimes just time not to think. You know, you get to a certain point where it's just quiet. Like that quiet, you just have quiet and you're just you're just moving. You just hear yourself breathing. Yeah, you're yeah, well, it's more like <sighs> but there's a certain level of, of flow that happens there. And I really wanted to push myself, see what I was was capable of. And that's why I got into it. What I found was, one, there's, it's just an amazing community. It's a small community. I mean, there's only so many crazy people that go out and run. You being one of them. Yes. Marathons, let alone 50K, 100K, 50 mile or 100 mile or more. The community is, is really small. It's super tight knit. There's a couple of races that pay money. Okay. But if there's glory, it's personal glory. And one of the race directors, Scott, Scott Mills, said to me, it wasn't directly me, but in a group, he was talking about, you know, you're not racing against each other. You're racing with each other. And I love that idea. And a lot of these races, there's actually more volunteers supporting the race because this is these are remote areas. There's aid stations and that stuff. Often there's more people volunteering for the race than there are actually racers. Which think about that community. That time of my life and running ultras gave me a goal. It gave me time. It got me out to nature. It got me the ability to explore. I mean, I love the idea of exploring. You know, I mean, you're a fisherman. Like, 
You know, like if you're like, oh, this is a new creek. Oh, this is a new, you know, beachfront. This is a new bay. Like to be able to go out there and see what's out there. And then there's different times of the year too. So it's summer, it's spring, it's fall. You see animal tracks, you see caterpillars, snakes come out at certain times, right? So you're just really out in nature and have the ability to to really explore. And part of that is just exploring your mind. And then eventually just letting your mind shut off and just run and just be. And then after a race, everything's quiet. You just get home and you're like, nothing's important. I'm just sitting here, just chilling. And that's really nice to have that quiet. You hit the meditative state. Yes. It only took 100 miles to get there. A couple of times. Excellent. <laughs> kind of moving down the home stretch here, what's a universal wealth truth for you? If there is such a thing, which I think for most of us there is, these universal truths, what would that be for you? Have you already used the word abundance a bunch? I think there's a very expansive term of wealth. I think Aries in the last podcast did a good job of talking about that. You both did. It's really about mindset and having the mindset of, of opportunity and abundance and not living in fear and being confident. Um, those things give you the courage to get up when you get knocked down or courage to push further. And also a place where you find contentment too, where you're like, I don't need it anymore. I've taken a break from running ultras. I don't know what, when I'll run another one, probably by the end of this year. But it was a huge part of my identity. But then I was like, it's okay, I can let it go. I've done what I did and I don't need to do any more right now. So I was just content being where I was. There's that fine line between pushing and then also being content and quieting yourself and doing things for the right reason. And I really think it comes back to a place of, of really where you are in, in your mindset. But I also think there's a place where there's momentum and kind of going back to the idea of flow and how you're just in that groove and it's working and abundance and mindset lead to power and momentum. And going back to my definition of happiness, you know, having the people around you, people that you trust, along with money resources, and the courage and independence to go after the things that you want, even if that's just downtime, is very powerful. And I think leads people to a place where they're, they have wealth. Thank you for that. As an avid reader, do you have any good books on wealth that you might recommend? Uh, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Please, please share. So one of the reasons I became an English literature major was at University of San Diego, my undergraduate school, I had to become a, uh, I had to take three biblical study courses. And I had a professor, Dr. Espine, and he was teaching a course called Understanding Salvation. And it was a great course. And I really liked him as a professor. But I started reading these books and I, I was just mesmerized by them. And he had me read a book, um, the whole class read a book called Reign of Gold. And Reign of Gold is written by an author by the name of Victor Villasenor. And he's actually local here in Oceanside, California, in North County, San Diego. And he's just, in Reign of Gold, he writes his family's history. And there's a whole backstory to it. But the thing that I loved about that book and inspires me, I still love reading it, is just how much love there is in that book. And in the family 
and friendship that's there. In a money component, there's not a money component at all, but we're, we've expanded that definition well beyond that. It's just a, it's abundance of love and family in that book. And it, the other really cool thing for San Diegans is like, he's talking about Tijuana in the 20s. He's talking about Temecula in the 20s and Escondido in the 20s. And it's an amazing story about right here in his family's history in this town. And I just love, love that book. It just brings a lot of wealth about love and family and friendship. Another book is Millionaire Next Door. And there's also a subsequent sequel to that book. And I can't remember what it's called right now, but that's by Thomas Stanley. I think it's a fascinating book. It just talks about the millionaire mindset and how a lot of the millionaires aren't driving fancy cars, carrying fancy purses and whatever it may be, but just how people can build great financial wealth. And a lot of them that do, you would never know it because they're driving a car that's 15 years old and they aren't flashy and they aren't staying at the Ritz Carlton and that type of thing. Those are a lot of what our clients are. And that I really resonate with those clients. We have clients that are they're just amazing and their stories are amazing. I think that's a great mindset book on how a lot of people that are millionaires become millionaires. And it's that long game that I was talking about before. Another one I will say is by Alice Schroeder and it's called Snowball. And I believe it's still the only authorized biography of Warren Buffett. I just think that's a fascinating story. Warren Buffett's story is fascinating. Um, it talks about when he's in Washington, D.C., and he's in from Omaha with his dad, and his dad's in the House of Representatives, and he's a he delivers like the newspaper for the Washington Post. And he's got all these little scams, not not illegal scams, you know, but like he's getting golf balls out of the pond at the golf course, and he won't go in, but because he's the guy that came up with the idea, but he gets buddies to jump in the water, bring the golf balls out, and then he turn around and sell them back to the golf players, you know. So always an entrepreneur. I love that about that story. The one thing that I really appreciate about that book, in my lifetime, I've seen so many people create wealth with the people that you read about in magazines and see on TV. A lot of the people that built these companies have come up with some great innovation. They've made this incredible software or this new drug or this new app or this new hardware. Innovative things. I mean, truly innovative. With Warren Buffett, the thing that I appreciate about him is I'm not taking away from his intelligence, but his story, it's innovative because no one else has seemed to be able to do it like he has done it, but he hasn't innovated anything. I mean, he's innovated being smart with money, buying companies that have good cash flow and investing wisely and continuing to buy good companies and put good management in place. Now, that is a skill set all to its own. I don't want to take away from that. But he didn't figure out how to make a laser beam or a self-driving car. He learned how to make smart investments and actually buy companies. And I think that's something that almost anyone can do. So I love the story of how he did that because it's a story that can be emulated on multiple levels by so many more people than Warren Buffett. So I love Snowball. The last one that I really like is one of my favorite books. It's called The Razor's Edge by uh, Somerset Moyham. The Razor's Edge, it's actually been made into two movies. I think in 84, maybe, Bill Murray was in it, which I haven't seen this movie, 
so I can't speak to that. But the book's a great book. And it takes place after World War One. There's a fighter pilot who's from Chicago, and he comes home. His name's Larry, and he's the main character in the book. He had the opportunity to have any job he wanted. If he wanted to be eventually the mayor of the town, he probably could have been. He could have dated or married the the prettiest girl in town. He could have been making a gazillion dollars if he wanted to be being investment banking or whatever it was. And one of the pivotal moments in the book was one of the things I think that I took from the book was being a pilot. He saw all these dead soldiers and he, he talked about them being like minarets just laid across the ground, hundreds of men, just completely lifeless. And kind of, I think I put them on this, this, path to like what's the purpose in life and if life can be disposed so carelessly what's my purpose is it making money is it marrying the prettiest girl i don't think you ever get a definitive answer for it but the story is about his search for that so he goes and he says no i don't want that fancy job and no i don't want to marry you and he says he's going to just go bum around. And he literally goes and bums around, as he calls it, self-described bums around for like 10 years, maybe more. And he learns a lot, learns about a lot about himself and the world and what he wants. At the end of the book, without giving too much away, there's a piece about money here that comes in. And, and the narrator of the book, who is an author, is talking to Larry. And Larry goes, when I come home to Chicago, because I'm planning on coming home, I'm going to give away all my money because Larry has had some level of financial support for his 10 years of bumming around. The author goes, Larry, you know, I've been working for 30 years. I finally got to a point where I just, I have enough money where I have a little bit of freedom. Don't do it. Don't give it away. The only reason you've been able to bum around for 10 years is because you've had this money. And Larry says to the, the narrator, for you, you see money as safety. As opportunity for me, I see money as a burden and as obligation, and that's again back to mindset. So, what's your mindset on money? Is it a burden? Is it something that you fear? Is it something that you know? Is it something that bring, creates opportunity? For some people, I know money brings a ton of discord into their family and in their life, and a huge amount of stress. So, two different ways to look about money. The final thing I loved about that book, at the end, I think it's kind of an author ploy to wrap up a story, but it did it was well. At the end, the author, uh, the narrator says, well, I don't know why I really wrote this story. I mean, there wasn't really much of a purpose, and he kind of beats around the bush for a while, and he finally says what he, I guess he wanted to say because it's in the book. He goes, you know, this actually is a success story, I think, and he goes through each one of the characters. He's like, Daisy, she wanted to marry this type of guy, and she did. And, and this guy, he wanted to have a high-paying, successful career job, and that's what he got. And this person wanted this, and this person wanted this. And Larry, Larry got what he wanted. He wanted happiness. So that's a success story. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing, Corey. To wrap things up, I want to pose this question to you. Imagine you're sitting in front of your 20-year-old self, 21-year-old self. Knowing what you know now, what would your current self tell him about creating a life of wealth and abundance? Thanks, Aries. 21-year-old self, there's some really practical things I'd say, and there's some more philosophical pieces. 
one on the practical. Like if I could go back and I could have made enough money and made an investment being an entrepreneur to hire my first assistant, like as soon as possible, so I could really focus on the growth of the business, not the running of the business, which growth is important to a business, of course. But the blocking and tackling of the business, I really would have done that a lot sooner. I think in myself, like if my son has a good business opportunity and I could pay for his assistant for the first year just to get him off the ground that much faster, then I would do that. Hire someone, hire a team, build a team, build a team and do it sooner than later. The old saying is you can go what fast by yourself, but you can go along with the team. That's what I believe in. I would just say continue learning. And part of that learning is having learning about yourself, re-examining what's important to you, re-looking at your life's purpose. I mean, it's going to change. It's going to modify. There's going to be new, new phases of your life and embrace those. Opportunities come and sometimes they feel like disasters. <laughs> but as my good friend uh, Mark Dale Mazur said, things happen for you. So... Continue learning about yourself as well as continue to read and expand your mind and go out of your comfort zones and and challenge your mindset. I mean, I think it's great to have an optimistic, positive mindset, but we have worldviews. This country's bad. This country's good. This political party's good. This political party's bad. This news network is good. This news network is bad. And we definitely have a lot of filters on us. In fact, I was in, in Cuba. And when I was in Cuba, I'm sitting there at the bookstore and like, all their books are on like propaganda or told propaganda because in Cuba, you can't just have a normal book. It has to be approved by the government. So all these books are about like the revolution, right? And you're talking about Che and you're talking about Castro and like how they're glorified. And there's a book on the American CIA and how they try to assassinate Castro and just all this crazy propaganda. I'm like, oh my gosh, they're they're celebrating these revolutionaries from like 50, 60, 70 years ago. And I said, and this might sound unpatriotic. It's not meant to be unpatriotic uh, to the United States. But I'm like, shoot, we're still celebrating our revolutionaries from 250 years ago. And we're, I don't say we're brainwashed by that way. But when you think about that, we're still celebrating those people and the people in Cuba are still celebrating theirs from 50, 60, 70 years ago. So open up your mindset and continue to learn and expand your mind. That's the point. There's a lot of filters. There's a lot of things that get filtered through and directed at us that I think it's important to open your mind and have the time to open up your mind. I will say that I worked really hard when I was younger and building what I built with with the business and building up a great group of clients and continue to allow the business to evolve as we thought it was important and as the industry changed. There was a lot of times where friends were out having a lot more fun than I was. Now, I have friends that are much further along on career and business and companies and financial success or, you know, I'm divorced, you know, they're married with multiple kids. I only got one, but I did sacrifice a lot for that. And again, I had that long game in mind. And I think it's good to have that long game. Absolutely. But I also know you're only young once and you have health and opportunities to do things. And so make sure that you're in the here and now. I would recommend not worrying about regrets from the past. You should learn from your past and not worry about what's ahead of you, 
but be right here, right now. Like I'm here right now with the two of you, not thinking what I have to do next. And I think that's a great way to live your life because you can only accomplish what you want to accomplish where you are in the moment and take advantage of that. And there's times where in my life I haven't done that enough and I missed out on opportunities of developing deeper relationships with people because we're, we're social creatures and the things that you look back upon are not going to be probably the success of your business, but the people that were on your team in the business, right? The people that came into your life, you know, the teachers you had when you were younger. I mean, I think about the teachers that I had or the teachers my son had. I mean, the impact they've had have been amazing. So enjoy your youth, but enjoy where you are. But again, reiterate, play that long game, you know, put a plan in place and execute. Execute every day best you can. You're going to make mistakes and trip up, but if you continue on that path, you're going to have a couple of spots off of a path, but your overall path will be that, that where you want to go and continue to freshen up. One last thought, one last thought. Laughter. I've got to laugh. You know, we just can't take this so seriously. Laughter is such a great thing and humility. And I just think we need to laugh more. We're taking this whole thing to some degree. I'm not saying this podcast because this is a serious podcast, but we'll probably take ourselves way too seriously, way too seriously. Lighten up, all of us, laugh some, get a good smile in, and spend time with the people that you love the most. Thank you for that. And if they, our listening audience might want to uh, reach out to you for a good laugh or whatever, <laughs> what's the best way to reach you? The phone number, 858 270 7705 email Corey C-O-R-Y at San Diego Wealth.com. LinkedIn. I have no idea what my but they can find LinkedIn, LinkedIn thing is. I'm on LinkedIn. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Well, Aries and I both thank you. Really some great insights and appreciate your contribution to helping us really all understand and expand our own personal vision of what wealth and abundance is for us. And may we all continue to live that way. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you. Some of the concepts and tools used in the process of helping you discover a more balanced and inspired life are provided by the Kinder Institute, Money Quotient, and The Strategic Coach. These may be referenced throughout different episodes of the podcast, and you can learn more about each of them in our show notes at hwph.org. You can also find more information about the work Mark and Aries do at sandiegowealth.com. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn, and available directly via email with feedback, questions, and more at us at hwph.org. Thank you all for listening.